0: Hello and welcome to the Be Less Dumb podcast. It's basically me chatting to a bunch of coaches who are more intelligent than I am and work in different areas than I am used to. I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions and try to become a little less dumb in the process. Hope you enjoy. Okay, so welcome to this podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Connor Murray, a very close friend of mine. Connor has a Master's of uh, Coaching Science and a Bachelor's in Strength and Conditioning. I've known Connor for about seven years now. We we did our undergrad and postgrad together. Uh, Connor is by far one of the most intelligent guys that I know. Um, So I thought he'd be perfect for this. He has a vast uh, history in different sports. Um, He played rugby, but most prominently he's been Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Over the last three or four years, he's been working with multiple athletes at the performance Centre up in Donegal. Um, with the various sports and more recently he moved out to Budapest and started his own business and he's going to tell you a little bit about himself so whenever you're ready mate
1: yeah thank you jeez I'm uh, humbled by that introduction Um, yeah so you pretty much covered all of the the key milestones Uh, studied uh, strength and conditioning down in Tipperary for four years and done my postgrad then in UCD uh, now I find myself in Hungary, uh, coaching people. Uh, currently now, I've just moved now, I'm in a, more of a sports performance based uh, gym over here in Budapest, so that's pretty good. Get to work with a lot of different English speaking uh, clients and athletes, uh, some people just general fat loss as well. Uh, so getting a, a good mix okay, of a perfect. everything so over
0: the, the, here. The theme of these podcasts is that like, I'm trying to learn a little bit more from everybody that talks on this and areas that I'm not crazy intelligent on, I'd say. So one thing that always stands out for me is is your ability when it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and something I know very little about. So if you could maybe take me through, I don't know, some of the strength training protocols, energy system development, stuff like that that you would do for yourself as a BJJ athlete and also for your clients...
1: Yeah, of course. So um, just, I suppose, for the listeners, um, (laughs) four of them for this first episode, um, definitely just so that you have a background of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, kind of what it is, it's a grappling sport. It's not dissimilar to Judo. Um, So you're kind of engaging in combat via wrestling, trying to throw the person to the floor and apply different joint locks and submissions. Uh, The key difference between it and any other combat sports is that there's no striking element, so there's no punches or kicks. Uh, It's all more through joint manipulation. Um, Whenever it comes to training for it then, um, there's kind of some considerations within the community of jiu-jitsu athletes that are... uh, from back in the day, whenever jiu jitsu kind of came to prominence, it's always had in its culture the selling point that a weaker opponent can actually take on the stronger opponent and be able to manipulate them with good technique. And that's definitely why it became so popular. And the one thing now with that philosophy is that uh, so many people know jiu-jitsu and the art form that sometimes you're not going to have such a technical advantage on your opponent that you're going to be able to just blow them out of the water despite these uh, strength disparities so if you look with regards to the jiu-jitsu competitor of nowadays strength conditioning and the physical attributes are actually a lot more important than what they previously would have been so the main kind of things that you would want to strengthen within jujitsu it's going to depend actually on your style as well so whenever you're actually within the sport of jiu-jitsu, there's kind of two different styles that people tend to broadly categorize into it would be either your guard players who are people who are mostly trying to work off their back. These are usually kind of the less strong, more flexible and pliable kind of guys. And they tend to work majorly the lower limb whenever they're actually implementing their game plan. There's a lot of uh, manipulating the opponent's upper body with the the legs. There's trying to sweep once again, primarily using the, the legs. So, For for an athlete that falls into this category, definitely lower body strength and also strength endurance is going to be a a key consideration. And um, also the kind of imbalances that you might get if you actually are training somebody who is a BJJ athlete, uh, who is actually a guard player. Uh, Anecdotally, the adductor muscles in the lower limb tend to take a, a beating Um, The lower back also, you're going to want to ensure there's plenty of care being given to uh, all the mobility and also some stability within the the deeper ranges of hip flexion. Um, For then, the other type, the second category of jiu-jitsu competitor that you might get are you referred to as the passers, so... Uh, You might see these uh, with an MMA as like the wrestler type, the guy that wants to be on top, putting the opponent on his back. And these guys, the primary concern, rather than lower body and adductor strength, would actually be the upper body strength and strength endurance. Um, A lot of the time they're using the arms to actually pummel and wrestle the opponent's legs the the guard player uh, out of the way so they're kind of some of the more general uh, specifications that you might make and considerations depending on who you're talking to and on a more general note if you're just a a green C who has never really experienced much within the sport uh, some little heuristics that you could use is that within jiu and probably most combat sports, I would say as well, um, if you're doing your job right, your opponent is probably mostly directly in front of you. And because of that, you tend to always be focused in this kind of sagittal plane. You're always uh, wrestling and grappling uh, with the opponent out in front. Uh, within the combats that you have, this tends to lead to uh, kind of a rounding of the thoracic, the shoulders coming forward. Um, so within your strength and conditioning training, uh, I would tend to program a lot of uh, corrective work within that there kind of stuff. So more thoracic extension and the... the okay. So of that if Okay, you,
0: so you're saying basically if you just start off with you know, your most basic pre- uh, fundamentals of posture when it comes to training, that'd be where you'd probably look at your first base for just a general um, jujitsu.
1: Absolutely. Um, I would say in general, most jujitsu guys, they're constantly getting twisted up and folded up like a pretzel throughout class. So you you really want to, whenever you're doing a strength and conditioning program for somebody like this, uh, what you want to be concerned with is really what, what their body can allow for within the program because it is already being stressed. It's already being uh, particularly like the lower back. You might want to um, try and not add to the burden. For example, somebody that's doing a lot of like deadlifting and different things like that, um, it might not just be the – the best recipe for a jiu-jitsu guy because they're already stressing their QLs and the muscles around that that kind of um, build that kind of robust back and you might be better suited with some variants that give you more quad action. Uh, A trap bar deadlift is a a good kind of an alternative. Um, Another little thing, because there's a lot of grip disputes, uh, jiu-jitsu is quite like judo in the the perspective that you're, you're constantly grabbing. And as a consequence of that, a lot of the time, fingers and the small joints kind of get chewed up from training. So if you're actually working with a jiu-jitsu guy, taking that into consideration with your exercise selection is also important. Uh, you may also want to not avoid or sorry you may want to avoid things that involve catching like in Olympic lifts or uh, various uh, pressing movements where your uh, wrists may be uh, involved in a, this kind of a hyperextension pattern because they're always getting chewed up within training and um, I always expect to, if you are programming for a jujitsu guy, to, to need to kind of write your program in pencil because th- these things are just kind of commonplace whenever it comes to the training and you have to kind of have alternatives and be able to think on the spot. Uh, switching things like front squats into Zercher squats, the likes of that is really kind of go. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, that all makes sense. And then, so we've kind of touched a little bit on uh, how you would start, and obviously, with any kind of athlete and any kind of skill sport, especially like Jiu Jitsu, the most important aspect is always going to be to be good at your sport, right? Um, so, when of when course, it comes yeah. to you know when it comes yeah. to any kind of training, you've got to kind of figure out where what proportion of your workload you want to give towards the weight room or energy um, system development or something like that. So when it comes to maybe planning a week for, for any kind of athlete, but we'll, we'll stay on, we'll stay on Jiu-Jitsu while we're here. Um, how would you, how would you plan out, say, if they were training Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something like that? Is that what it generally works out in Jiu-Jitsu or what are the, what are the training for the skill sport like?
1: Yeah. So what I would say, <laughs> what, what I, is a good question. Uh, and what I would generally recommend is you, you made a very good point there is look at if you're, priority is to be European champion in Jiu Jitsu then obviously Jiu Jitsu training you can't forego that um, it's definitely going to be the top of the priority so actually spending time in the mats you're not going to buy that with you know no no matter how strong that your your deadlift strength is or your bench press or w- whatever kind of a proxy that we might use in the weight room and um, so Always you need to be able to get in the mat time that's going to get you to the level that, that is going to be requisite for, for good performance. Um, the thing is, with jujitsu guys, they tend to be quite like runners as well in the fact that they just want to do jiu-jitsu all the time. So uh, I would say... One of the biggest disservices that you can do that might predispose yourself to injury is if you're constantly just on the mats and you're not doing anything outside of the mats to kind of supplement and, you know, build up the ligaments and the the soft tissues to, to ensure that they're robust for the competition. Then you're doing yourself a disservice in the long run. And like I said, prior to that, just even to give a little bit of balance to the musculature so that you're actually training in you know, different planes of motion, uh, stuff that you haven't been exposed to. um, Because whenever you look at the research that's done on jujitsu and injuries, the, the most common injuries that happen are within the knee and within the elbow joint. And interestingly enough, they actually tend not to be uh, jujitsu. We actually the the way to win the match is to put your opponent in a joint manipulation and force them into a submission, so they tap out because their elbow or whatever joint is under too much stress. Uh, Interestingly, most of the catastrophic injury that happens through jujitsu, it actually doesn't come from these locks. Uh, Rather, it's normally Uh, an awkward scramble a a hand that kind of based out in a funny way or an ankle that you've been pulled back on where where you didn't expect that you were going to suddenly have to uh, you know go against the momentum within a certain way and that that ends up uh, resulting in a ligament in the knee or whatever done so I suppose keeping a wide variety of these kind of multi-planar movements within your strength training outside of jujitsu, It's going to help build that kind of soft tissue so that you're going to be able to actually be tolerant whenever your body gets put into the wrong positions that hopefully it's going to be resilient enough to to do the right things from the wrong positions. Okay. Uh, that, that's actually a saying that I, I heard from Lauren Lando. Uh, he's Cowboy Cerrone, he's and c you know, he works with a lot, of, a lot of different martial arts fighters, but that, that's one of the main benefits that, that strength training would have to the, these combats. Yeah, and
0: um, you you once said to me that uh, you, you train in the gym and you get DOMS. When you train jiu-jitsu, you get <laughs> joint DOMS, and it, it always stood, stood with me, and <laughs> everything you're saying like, makes a lot of sense, right? You know, you're looking for all these different planes of motion that you'll be moving in. And that's why something like the one times 20 approach actually would work well. Uh, where the fact that you have, if you have a basic person who hasn't got a very high training age, you know, covering, covering all these different planes of motions and building an overload and progressively overload them over a period of time, is going to give you a much more solid base to work from. Right. Um, so that, that's also probably something that you could maybe recommend for jujitsu, um, players, but, uh, one thing I kind of want you as well to talk about, and I think you're pretty knowledgeable on this aspect is I don't know too much about jujitsu, about even competition, how long it is, rounds. Um, Cause I know it changes and rules change and stuff like that. But yeah, some of yeah. the, some of the energy system development stuff is something, that I think I could get some information from, from you. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what, what you Absolutely. would do for yourself as well. Cause I think it's important that people know that you do train jitsu and you do do it yourself um, and what you would do with some of your athletes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So definitely, uh, he just opened a minefield there talking about different rules <laughs> and uh, different uh, different time limits. Uh, literally, it, it can really range from you know five minutes for the the most basic kind of white belts would be the the IBJJF, which is like the the FIFA of Jitsu, if you will. Um, they would have five minute matches, and um, all the way up to black belt. Then you would have up to 10-minute matches on that same um, IBJJF rule set. And then you go into like some pro matches or like 20 minutes. Um, for myself, if I'm competing in IBJJF, I'm a blue belt at the minute, so I would be doing six-minute matches. Uh, also, w- one of the big things that we have to stress whenever it comes to these type of tournaments and it's the same within uh judo as well is that you you don't just go and have one match on a competition day you are also going to have depending on the size of your division and um, for me personally uh, i'm around 70 to 76 category i i kind of float between those two divisions and um, so whenever i'm uh competing they, they tend to be quite popular just because uh, men between my age limit they, they tend to weigh within that range When whenever you go to the heavier weight classes you might only have uh, two or three matches to to the final and um, so it can also range in the amount of matches depending on the size of tournament uh, you, you know you might have eight matches before you're even on the podium for uh, some of the big competitions europeans uh, it could be even more and um, so whenever you think of this competition day as being multiple different matches, and in fact, many competitors actually compete in multiple divisions in a day too. And you have the option if you medal within your division to enter the open weight category where you can actually go against people who are of all shapes and sizes and normally dominated by the, the big boys, it must be said. But uh, you do have a few brave sixty kilos <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll try going in there. Um, but I think overall, the point that I'm trying to make from that uh, ramble on the different rules and the layout of a comp day is uh, to sustain that kind of energy consumption for if it's that many matches is realistically going to happen over a couple of hours, really. So you really want to have a very well developed aerobic system and aerobic conditioning is going to help you recuperate and recover your energy in between your matches whenever it comes to the actual bouts themselves your uh, breakdown of that kind of comes into um kind of grip disputes at the start as we say so You might be pummeling and holding and trying to trip the opponent. And uh, what you'll find within the kind of energy utilization pattern, it it tends to be kind of like uh, slow squeeze. So you're holding um, predominantly aerobic because it's not quite as high intensity uh, with interspersed uh, really, really high intensity Alactic and lactic bursts, where you're trying to get into scrambles and uh, get into these exchanges. So, it really does use a mix of all energy systems. You, you will need some alactic power, particularly if you're trying to shoot the, the blast double leg, um, but also if you're into your final match of competition day and you know, you, both people are going for the gold medal and it can be a real high intensity effort as well. So a good broad uh, base of conditioning through alactic lactic straight down to aerobic conditioning is really required. And um, how that likes or how I like for that to be programmed, uh, it depends on a case by case basis on the athlete as well and depends do you have an engine if you do then maybe you can you know try and focus more of your gym work and that side of things more on your a lactic explosive power type conditioning and if you don't have a good aerobic base which a lot of people that you know come into jujitsu for the the for you know i have people ask me if jujitsu they are kind of like oh i'm i'm really really you know tired from uh training you know i I feel after that role, like i've just got no energy what, what exercise can i do and realistically for a lot of people they just need to work on their aerobic conditioning and you know that just a general lift in their fitness um, you know to be able to actually last you know the hour sparring or w- whatever it is uh, that can be the answer, but like i say it's it's very individual and it depends on w- where each competitor is at in their in their own development,
0: okay, yeah, I mean it sounds like an absolute nightmare to program from right <laughs> um when it comes to yeah. all them different you know different yeah. rules and different time zones and stuff like that but um I think it yeah. you know. I mean, in a sport like that, it must come down to trying to figure out a few key performance indicators that you think will make either you better or your athlete better, right? And is there any, I know it's very difficult to take, and I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but for yourself, you know, something that you see as a key performance indicator and how you can maybe re- relate that back to the training that you're doing or you're going to do, say? Uh,
1: you know, personally, I would say, you know, uh, technique, technique, technique for performance within the sport Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have to kind of know w- what is your main focus uh, whenever you're you know what, what is your game plan, especially if you, if you are trying to be competitive in it uh, look at the, there's people that really specialize in you know very very specific games they, they just attack the legs or they just you know go, go to this one certain position and you know if, if you're that kind of like if you're that specialist uh look at i personally i i like playing the guard i like playing the bottom game so for for me personally that kind of adductor strength endurance uh stuff like that to to really be able to zone in on exercises you, you have your um your uh, oh forget the name of it now you're you're a doctor one of those uh nordic countries name what, what do you call it where, where you're uh a leg is elevated onto a bench. Oh, Copenhagen. The Copenhagen, yeah, <laughs> the name slipped my mind. Yeah, yeah, so so something like that there might be like a really specific, uh, KPI to to work on for my you know performance within my game, um. But you know, for somebody else, like I say, for somebody who's a, a real top gamer, um, you know. It might be something completely different. It might be, you know, having that killer squeeze, and you know, you you see some people doing uh, isometric squeezes even on on medicine balls, um, stuff like that. There can can be can be great. Um, yeah, it it really depends on the person. Like like I say, jujitsu is so uh, there's so many different ways to skin a cat. Uh, within it that you know it uh, you can't really give a general you know guideline that this will work for you um, of
0: course I mean even when I think of you right so you people might know have had multiple shoulder injuries over the years starting from what age did you get your first dislocated shoulder yeah I was time?
1: 16 whenever I right. first popped that and, shoulder out yeah. So at
0: that stage, and you know, you might say try to break down a sport and stuff like that. But for you, it was probably a case of being a little bit hyper mobile, would you say, in your early years before you developed the stability that you needed to do the sport? Would you reckon that? Was something?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Within uh, within my injury history, one of the big things was that I, I didn't really actually know the first time that I had dislocated my shoulder that it was <laughs> uh, dislocated, that uh, it kind of reset as they say it it reset itself but um yeah i would have been not really strength training it per se and uh you know typical martial arts training uh tends to you know be like uh, the good old rocky movies or karate kid do do some press-ups on your knuckles so Hmm. probably uh, once again you're in that sport like i say that's uh doing a lot of anterior uh loading a lot of uh, you know trying to push and uh, flex through that thoracic spine and um, that that kind of is a muscle group that gets trained anyway and then what what's probably the main strength and conditioning supplementary training that I'm doing is it's probably press ups and d- different exercises that uh, actually compound that uh that kind of a imbalance between uh, the various different sides of the shoulder shoulder joint so um, look at things like that where you're not uh, you're not doing enough pull within your your training you're not you're not trying to row and counteract and um, stuff like that for me it, it was the biggest change uh, rotator cuff strengthening um doing stuff progressing on into to the likes of turkish get ups and Different overhead carries, um, they're all money in the bank. Um, but definitely, within my case, uh, this case could be could be different for, for somebody else who has recurring knee issues.
0: Okay, perfect. So, uh, so we've touched on you know strength training and system development, and then the common injuries and stuff like that. And uh, anyone who knows you or we're in our friends group, it's a bit of a it's a joke that you you uh you do like the psychology of sport. You're very interested into that. Um, it's um, I'm just wondering, how do you psychologically prepare for a sport, or what would you recommend for a sport with jiu You know, is there any particular things that you do in yeah, relation um, to starting to prepare for that
1: event? Um, this is once again, it's something that can be uh, very individualistic. Uh, some some people love hype themselves up. Prior to prior to competing or whatever, and um, personally, I like more just kind of relaxed now. Listen to a bit of music, and um, just prior to going in, um, I've tried the whole kind of pump up. But I, I find if you're particularly within jiu jitsu competition, you know, five matches over the course of ninety minutes or whatever. So, um, what? probably is better suited. So you're efficient with your energy whenever you get to you know, be focused, but, but not overly aroused. And um, whenever you're looking at outside or further away from the competition, uh, something I like that I, I actually, my back and letter, Kenny Barney, a uh, little shout out to him. Uh, the mental rehearsal that that I seen him taking on before he was um, competing in the Europeans one time, Uh, whenever it came to sparring time, he um, would get onto the mats from the side. He would bow. He would kind of have the whole complexion where he, he is training for, in his mind, he's recreating the actual competition and, that that's something that a, a lot of people they train for things, but they they don't really train at, at what the great coach Ian Jeffries would call game speed. Um, what well, well, what, right? There, whenever he was getting into that state of mind, was he, he was actually immersing himself in his head. He was competing there. The the mental environment, if you identical to what it was or of course it's not going to be identical to stepping onto the mats at European champions but you can see some people that are you know they they kind of bump fists and they're laughing and joking with each other during training and they're they're having a bit of banter and now are you getting a good workout from that yes but is that actually psychologically getting you into that same state that you would be getting into for competition day. Maybe not. So that's definitely something that you could, uh, that I definitely took from Barney and from, from my studies then in coaching science. It's also something that would have been placed importance on, uh, even in the research of confidence. Uh, it's kind of, you're generating mastery experiences. Whenever you do that, you you're, adding more credence to the argument that you've been there and done that. So that then whenever it's time to actually go and operate, you're ready to hit that next level, the drop a drop a couple of gears, as they say.
0: Okay. Okay, perfect. So we'll we'll um, we'll finish up on I just something that's interesting to me and it could probably take off its whole own podcast. But when it comes to weight cutting um, I know BJJ is a white category sport, so of course that comes into it. But is it as prominent as you see maybe in so, boxing and MMA?
1: Unfortunately, I would say it it is it is prevalent. Um, definitely comes from the, the kind of the wrestling culture in the states, and also then you you have a lot of boxers will will do that as well. Um, personally. For your typical jujitsu competition, it's generally a same-day weigh-in, so it's it's a bit more like powerlifting, uh, in the sense that you're, you're you're pretty much going to go straight away. Then, um, so I would honestly see very little merit in doing a big weight cut, uh, something of that nature, for Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition. In IBJJF rule set, which would be the, as I say, the, the kind of FIFA rule set of, of Jiu Jitsu. Now, there are some organizations that, that do allow for a, a night before weigh-in and look at just to kind of give who, whoever's listening a little bit of a kind of a background as to why you might cut weight. Uh, Obviously, the the whole idea is that you, you're going to have extra muscle mass, and you know you, you're going to be a a bigger frame for the weight class. Uh, if you're able to get down to a lighter weight class, and then actually uh, refuel, you're unnaturally manipulating your water content, your muscle glycogen. You you can cut out carbs and reduce weight in that way. Uh, pe- people are basically, uh, w- what we're not doing is we're not manipulating the the fat, the body fat that you have on you. Uh, what people are actually doing is they're instead just manipulating the amount of uh, water and, like I say, how much glycogen that they're holding on to. And th- this can be quickly replenished w- within, you know, uh, a matter of hours. But as I say... It's go. You're really going to have far greater decrements to your performance uh, if it's a more acute kind of a competition after you do your weight cut. Uh, for the example of the IBJJF, you're competing like immediately after you've uh, weighed in, so you're not going to be able to to cut a huge amount of weight there. Um, now look at you, certainly for the the day after weigh-ins and if, if you see what, what they're doing in MMA now it, it's actually not even an advantage anymore to cut weight it, it's just you, you're on the level playing field if you do it Um but overall for Jiu Jitsu uh, for me uh, unless you're really if your case is that you're you know trying trying to lose a couple of kilos to make a weight class for you know you, european gold or you know you're you're trying to win fucking pan ams or something then fair enough let, let's let go for it but uh, if you're somebody who's you know like myself you're you're talking out for the budapest open or you know the the irish open Um, hmm. look at i would probably say you should probably try and just uh Perform at your best, where you're going to be at your best whenever you're fueled. So, not not through carb restricting or anything like that prior to to the fight. And and if you are, uh, th- that's one mistake that people make as well. They, they kind of conflate the the two kind of weight cutting versus weight loss. Um, if you are trying to actually drop some some kilos. Prior to a competition, you, you should definitely, in my opinion, if you're looking to make a weight class, do, do that prior to actually going into your intensive block of training. It's something that can definitely, at the very least, it can hinder your training quality and your performance in your training. If you're trying to restrict your calories or severely lower the amount of carbohydrate that you're eating, during your intensive training, you, you really want to uh, try and drop your body fat in your kind of out of competition phase, get yourself to the kind of uh, affable amount of body fat that's it's going to be good for your performance then, and then try and maintain that so you, so you can go to a more of a maintenance calorie intake that's going to sustain you know when you're trying to really, really go at it in training. Um, so that's just something that you see people doing and it's just not it's really going to hinder their performance because they're they're trying to diet within the five, four, three weeks up leading up to a competition uh, and that's when you should be going hammer and tongs okay perfect
0: mate, my pleasure, um, thank you for coming on today um Before we finish up, is there anything you'd like to plug? I know it's a global pandemic right now, so no gyms are open or anything like that. Yeah, so well at the moment.
1: I'm currently doing the whole online trainer gig. I'm uh, programming for people through uh, the old computer, as they say. I'm doing uh, just programming. If people want to take a program off me, or if people actually want to do live zoom sessions. I am now also on zoom as I think that the entire fitness industry has joined zoom. Uh, if people want to to get on that, you right. can find me at Murray fitness performance on Facebook and Murray fitness performance, the exact same on Instagram. Uh, alternatively, Connor Murray on Facebook, you know, me me on the personal either. Um, that's pretty much it.
0: Okay, Absolutely. perfect. Thank you, mate. You. Stay Thanks safe. And I'll talk to you
1: soon.